0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'd like to start with a shout-out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners from London, Preston, Gloucester, Guildford, Twickenham, Slough, Leicester, Hull, Stoke-on-Trent, Reading, Manchester, Coventry, Bournemouth, Derby, Swindon, Bath, Peterborough, Portsmouth, Southampton, Hemel Hempstead, Nottingham and Bristol. And then across on the continent we have new listeners in Denmark, we have new listeners in La Taruna in northern Spain, we have new listeners in Madrid in Spain, Lisbon in Portugal, Oslo in Norway, Vienna in Austria, Tel Aviv in Israel, Bangkok in Thailand, We now have our first listeners in South Korea, so a big welcome to you. And we also have listeners in Queensland in Australia and new listeners in Orlando in Florida in the USA. And that, of course, is on top of all our listeners right across the world. We're pleased to say we now have listeners in every single continent across the world, Uh, which is great. It's great to all of you to spend half an hour of your week with me catching up on the latest news with GDPR. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the GDPR Weekly Show. And I really appreciate your feedback. So please do continue sending your feedback to podcasts at insurity.co.uk. That's E N S U R E T Y.co.uk. Podcasts at insurity.co.uk. I do read all of your feedback and thank you for all the positive feedback. Um, unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to all the feedback that we receive, but please do send it in and also any suggestions for things that you'd like to see in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show please send them through to podcasts at uk, and in a few moments I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Check us out on Facebook.
1: So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have an update on the massive data breach at Marriott Hotels. We have a look at GDPR and Brexit and what, if any, Impact will come from the vote to be held in Parliament on Tuesday. We have some comments about the Epic Games store. We um, have some information about GDPR for pension trustees and making sure of things that trustees there need to be doing. We have a look at how GDPR equivalent rules are spreading. Around the world, and in particular into Brazil and India. And we also have some news from Europe on an expansion of the areas covered by GDPR. So, as always, a packed program this week in the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Button.
1: we start with an update on the Marriott data breach. Remember we spoke last week, in last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, when the news was just breaking of the data breach at Marriott. Well, we now know a bit more about what happened. Um, Basically, the details have been released, or were taken, I should say, of some 327 million guests and the information included combinations of name, address, phone number, email address, passport number, starwood, preferred guest account information, date of birth, gender, arrival and departure dates, reservation dates and communication preferences. So whilst no financial information, obviously a lot of information there, particularly with the passport numbers, which would uh, enable those who've stolen the data to uh, be able to Create false identities to create identity theft effectively on the number of people involved. Uh, We've also found out some financial information about Marriott, which is that their turnover in 2017 was £20.4 billion. Put that in context if the ICO were minded to impose the maximum possible penalty on Marriott, then at 4% of its annual turnover. That means that Marriott would be looking at a fine of £816 million. However, of course, a lot of the guests were um, from the US. And in the US, actions already started. uh, US Senator Charles Schumer has called on the hotel firm to reimburse everyone affected to allow them to purchase new passports. And two US-based law firms are understood to have filed class action lawsuits against the company. So, as well as the EU action being undertaken by the UK ICO and probably other ICOs across Europe, although it's looking like the UK ICO will take the lead on this one, um, they've also dropped the legal action and the transactions actions ongoing in the US. So, it would be very interesting to see over the next few weeks and months how this case against Marriott spills out. But I think it could be a real... Um, Signpost in the indication of how the uh, regulators are looking to approach these mega breaches of data because obviously losing data of 327 million people is about as serious as it gets albeit that I think in Marriott's defence they will argue that there was no financial information taken which is a plus but on the minus as we discussed last week Um, Marriott took several weeks to report the breach rather than the 72 hours allowed by GDPR. So a really interesting case. We continue to watch it and uh, we will bring you updates on it in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: obviously here in the UK one of the main talking points all week has been Brexit and like most of the country we await with interest to see just quite what the reaction of the House of Commons will be when they come to vote on the proposed withdrawal bill on Tuesday evening this week Um, and we obviously will follow that up more next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show when We will at least have a pointer in which way, or hopefully have a pointer, in which way the UK is heading. But I think it's worth restating something that I think we said in last week's episode of GDPR Weekly Show, certainly we've said in the past, but I think it's worth reiterating that whatever the outcome of Brexit, GDPR will continue because all of the core concepts of GDPR are now embraced within the UK's Data Protection Act 2018 and so just because we're in uncertain times with what's going to happen with our relationship with the European Union don't think that that means that you don't need to do anything with GDPR because you do all the rules of GDPR still apply and will continue to apply after the 29th of March 2019 so please make sure that you are taking action on GDPR and that you are keeping your Policies and procedures up to date.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Button.
1: You may have seen this week that during the Game Awards 2018, a new online game store was announced, the Epic Game Store, which aims to take on Steam by offering numerous exclusive titles. Um, you're probably familiar with Steam if you're an online gamer at all uh, because many games now are provided via the Steam platform online and Epic Games, as I say, seeks to be a competitor of them. However, um, whilst the new game store is attractive to developers in that it's giving developers 88% of the sales profit, Um, which has already begun to attract games like Ashen and Hades away from Steam to Epic Games. It's not always great as it appears because the ICO has expressed concerns about Epic Games' laws privacy policy, which do not seem to conform with the laws of GDPR. What the particular areas in question are that several clauses of the uh, Game Store Privacy Policy say that by agreeing to their privacy policy you allow Epic Games to temporarily share your personal details with advertisers and while you can restrict Epic from sharing your personal information you can only do so in quotes, limited circumstances. quotes. This goes directly against the spirit and indeed the word of GDPR because obviously under GDPR, as you will doubtless all know if you're listening to this, that the uh, rights of consumers to protect their data, their personal details, occurs in all cases and not in limited circumstances. Um, game, Epic Games have tried to cover this off a bit by issuing a statement where they've said that if you are located in the EU, or the EPIC entities located in the EU are processing your personal information in the EU, then you have the right to restrict or object to our processing of your personal information. The right to restrict processing arises only in limited circumstances. For example, if you think we are processing inaccurate information. In addition, if we are required to restrict processing but the requirement is temporary, we may not be permanently obligated to adhere to your request. Now. As GDPR practitioners, we have to say that that statement, frankly, is rubbish. Um, Epic Games cannot just say that the only way you can stop them processing is if your data is inaccurate. That's not the spirit or the wording of GDPR. Anyone can withdraw their consent at any time, as you, if you're a registered listener to GDPR Weekly Show. Or indeed you've received training from us via our GDPR training course, then you'll know that a consumer can withdraw their consent at any time and that to withdraw consent has to be as simple as it was to give consent. And also, it again, it's, it, this in some ways um, strikes me as similar to the uh, whole thing regarding Brexit at the moment because Again, like here, they've got it the wrong way round. It's not for Epic Games to unilaterally say they, can permanently, they don't need to permanently adhere to your request. It's for you. If at some point in the future you decide to give Epic Games Store your permission again, well, that's fine. That's up to you. But it's not up to them to say we'll only stop processing it for a certain period of time. That's not the way it works. And we've also heard of problems with people who purchased via the Epic Games Store getting um, refunds, but that's outside of the scope of of our podcast. Um, So it looks like the Epic Games Store looks like a great idea. I think we'd all welcome some competition to Steam in the game space, but it doesn't seem to have got off to a good start. And I think it's disappointing in a new application which has come to the market since GDPR has come into being, that it's not GDPR compliant from day one, and I think that is, you know, that that's bad. Really, they should have got much better advice on that. But let's hope they rapidly work to correct that situation and come back soon with a fully GDPR compliant specification and way of working. We will, of course, be keeping an eye on the Epic Games Store and we'll bring you any updates in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https//www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR Weekly Show. That's always one word, GDPR Weekly Show. And... Uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Button.
1: We've been doing some work this week with a couple of pension uh, streams here in the UK. And so I thought it was worth just spending a few minutes on some issues that we found with these pension funds, which I suspect are not. Uh, distinct to these pension funds and may affect other pension funds or trustees. So if you are yourself a pension trustee or you ha- your company has a pension fund, and I guess most companies in the UK now do, um, you might wish to pass this part of the um, broadcast on or rather recommend that your pension trustees listen to this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show And obviously if they do have any of these concerns then they are very welcome to contact us at insurity.co.uk www.ensurety.co.uk and we would be very pleased to help any companies with issues. Um, And the specific issues which we found were making sure that there were binding contracts in place between the pension scheme and any data processors that they were using so that it's important as the pension scheme maintains its role as data controller but any data processors that they are using or joint data controllers that they're using it's important that you have a data you have a data policy between yourselves and the processors or or the joint controllers um Do check that that's in place and if it's not, then finalising contracts should be a priority for trustees as unagreed terms between yourself and your data processors not only pose certain risks, they also open you up to the possibility of sanctions from the Information Commissioner's Office, from the ICO. So do make sure that you've got firm data processing contracts in place with your data processors and or your joint data controllers. The other issue is that pension trusts, in our experience from what we've seen, haven't put enough effort into thinking about how they're going to deal with subject access requests. Because a number of pension funds, naturally because of the length of time which someone may well be a member of the fund, are reliant not just on their modern up-to-date systems of today, but also on a number of legacy systems and maybe even back to legacy paperwork. And remembering that if someone makes a request for all the information that's held about them, then there's a requirement to use your best endeavours to retrieve as much of that information as possible. And that may mean going into a dusty archive and finding paper documents. It may mean retrieving documents which are perhaps now stored off-site in in an off-site archive location, but all of that needs to be thought through and, and our experience certainly with the pension funds we've dealt with this week is that whilst they um, are well aware of the need uh, to satisfy the requirement and they can do that via their existing CRM systems um, what's not so good is providing all the back information going back maybe 20, 30, 40, even 50 years that a mem- someone has been a member of the pension sting. And it should be remembered that it's the scheme administrators who have a contractual obligation to provide this information, but it's the trustees who have the legal obligation to provide the information, and trustees who will need to answer to the Information Commissioner's Office, to the ICO, if they can't provide that information. And certainly with all the trusts that we've spoken to this week, they've all said that, perhaps unsurprisingly, the volume of subject access requests that they're receiving are spiralling. And I think that's only likely to continue as public knowledge of what's possible under GDPR becomes more widespread. And, of course, in the way the pensions landscape is changing and that people now have a lot more options with their personal pensions. Um, so do make sure that you've got procedures in place. Do make sure you've actually documented where all the data is. is. Is is stage one of that. And again, if you need help with any of that, please do get in touch with us and we'd be delighted to provide you with any assistance you may need in, in getting that data put together. The third thing is in record keeping. And we don't mean here records in terms of records of your members, but records in terms of decisions you made in how you're handling their data. So, do you have all your GDPR policies in place? Have you appointed a DPO? Is your DPO external or internal? Remember, they can be either. For a smaller scheme, it might be more appropriate to have an external DPO. For a larger scheme, you'll probably want an internal DPO, but you may want an external DPO as well. Um, and think as well about how you are starting to plan out audits so that, you know, because it, before we know it, it will be 25th of May 2019. It'll be time to do audits. And best way in the world there aren't enough people with the qualifications to perform GDPR audits all on the same day for every pension fund in the country. So make sure that you book your audit already. And again, we are now already taking bookings for GDPR data audits for 2019. So if you'd like your data audit, please drop us a line to podcasts at insurability.co.uk and we'll get in touch with you in the range of suitable date. Um... But retrokeeping is important, and make sure you drop your GDPR policies. Remember that if you've dropped previous versions of GDPR policies, maybe you've revised them in the six months since GDPR came into force, you must keep the previous ones too, because the policy which will be in matter, if there is a problem, will be the policy that was in place at the date that the problem occurred, and not whatever GDPR policy you may have in place now. And the final issue which needs dealing with for um, pension funds and this is probably applies to anyone listening to this and not just pension funds because it's a common misconception that people think that a data breach is just when someone hacks your system or it's a computer virus or it's malware but it's not it's much more than that it's about losing a portable device so losing your mobile phone or leaving a laptop on the train or even a USB data stick on the train. It's about genuine human error. It's about putting the wrong pension statement into the wrong envelope and sending it to the wrong person. It's about attaching the wrong pension statement to the wrong email and sending it to the wrong person. It's about CCing in people who have no right to be CC'd in to a particular email. All of those are data breaches. All of them should be entered in your data breach register. Not all of them need reporting to the ICO. And again, this is where you should really liaise with your Data Protection Officer as to when and if you need to report a breach to the ICO. But remember, you do need to record it in your Data Breach Register, whatever. And you have 72 hours from when the breach is discovered or when you become aware of the data breach to do that. And so don't delay. If you discover a data breach of even a very minor nature, make sure you record it in your data breach register. And as always, we'll be coming back to this regularly, I'm sure, in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: You'll remember that in a episode of the GDPR Weekly Show a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned about the fact that Japan had now passed some privacy laws which were, to all intents and purposes, uh, exactly the same as GDPR. Well, this is now actually spreading to other states across the world, as we predicted it would. And not only in the US is now the state of California preparing its Uh, privacy regulations, which, again, have a very strong resemblance to GDPR. But privacy regulations very similar to GDPR have now been passed in Brazil and are currently under consideration by the government in India. And so it really does look like this trend, which we suspected might happen, is happening, and that... um, The standards, good standards, adopted as part of GDPR are now becoming more common across the world and that's something which we as GDPR practitioners and we think all our customers too, um, really welcome because it should make future trade easier if we are all working to a common set of standards as far as data privacy is concerned then whatever Brexit and everything else must throw at us in terms of I don't know World Trade Organization rules or whatever is coming down the road. At least in terms of data, the more states that adopt um, GDPR rules or rules which are 99% the same as GDPR will make the whole processing of data right across the world a much simpler exercise. And in the long run, that has to be good for companies it has to be good for organisations it has to be good for individuals too because individuals will know that wherever their data is being processed in the world their common set standards are being applied to it and so I think it's welcome that these uh, spread into more international countries and states is happening and uh, I for one hope that it continues well into 2019 to spread further around the world <laughs>
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: In terms of data around the world, uh, the European Data Protection Board, the body which oversees GDPR right across the EU, has issued some guidelines on when data does and doesn't fall under GDPR. And it's interesting that they've actually changed this from the original Uh, you may remember if you've attended our training or if you've listened to previous episodes of the GDPR weekly show that originally GDPR only applied to data subjects within the EU and the UK and Switzerland Um, but the European Data Protection Board the EDPP have now it's bandied down this a bit. And they have now saying that processors established in the EU are subject to GDPR even where the processor is processing data on behalf of a non-EU controller that itself is not subject to GDPR. So in practice, that means that an EU processor that processes data on behalf of, let's say, a US entity in connection with US data subjects will still be subject to GDPR for that data. And that's not something that's really been thought through before. So it's not just now if you've got data subjects within the EU, but if the company processing your data is within the EU, then you still need to comply with GDPR, even if you are in the US or elsewhere outside of the EU. Um, So it's broadening the reach of GDPR A bit. Um, And also, they now clarify what is a data subject. Data subjects in the the Union means any person in the Union whose information is being collected at that moment, regardless of their nationality or legal status. That means that EU citizens and residents are obviously within the scope, but a US tourist using an app in the EU is a data subject of the EU for the purposes of GDPR. The guidelines note that the processing of personal data of EU citizens that takes place outside of the EU will not trigger GDPR so long as the processing is not a specific offer directed at individuals in the EU or to monitor behaviour in the EU. So, for example, a US company with employees in the US who hold EU citizenship will not be subject to GDPR just because they employ EU citizens, but they will if those EU, US employees are actually present in the EU. So it really is coming down much more to where people are actually present as opposed to where they are from. And they also have given more indication of how they're saying whether someone, in their, in their opinion and this is going to apply largely to US companies, um, whether it's felt that that company has an intention to offer goods and services to people within the EU. And the example they're giving is that they will establish that there is an intention and therefore the rules fall under GDPR if the company has advertising campaigns in the EU if they mention addresses or phone numbers within EU countries, if they use a top-level EU domain name, so .eu or .co.uk, .de, .it, .uh, .nl, if they have a description of travel instructions from the EU to the service, if it's a service, if they mention customers in the EU, and if they use language or currency commonly used in the EU, and whether goods are delivered in EU countries. So, to take an example, if you have a US company, which at the moment does not have any EU or UK customers, but it has products on its website priced in pounds, sterling, or in euros, then GDPR applies to the data of that company, even though, at this moment in time, they do not have any EU customers and that is a big change in the breadth of application of GDPR and so for those of you who are listening in the US um, do be aware of this. The other thing which the um, EDPB, the European Data Protection Board have tightened up on is in their definition that if you are processing data for people in the EU or you are now under these new rules considered to be attempting to deal with people in the EU then you must have an EU representative you must have someone within the EU who acts on your behalf to the aids between yourself and the ICO and quick advert here that is this new service which we are offering So if you are listening to this in the US and you need an EU representative for the purposes of GDPR, then please do get in touch with us. It's a very simple process to set up and we can act as your EU representative for you and satisfy that requirement of GDPR. And of course, if you've not done anything towards GDPR, which you may not have done in the past, we can guide you through the steps you need to take. And I know we do have quite a number of listeners in the US so please do get in touch with us about that. If you have any questions, um, please send any questions to podcasts at uk, or you can send them direct to myself, your host Keith Button, at keith, K-E-I-T-H, at uk. You're
0: listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden.
1: So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again same time, same place next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe.
0: Check us out on Facebook.
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.